Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Heavenly Father, we all oh, we do love you. We lift your name in all the earth. Help us to be sure it's your name we're lifting and not our own. Help us be sure it's your name we're lifting and, and no organization of men. But your name, the name of your Son, the name of your Spirit who is the dynamic power of God in the world today. Now, Father, we pray that you would open our minds, our hearts to understand something that Jesus said. That we may understand what he meant when he said it. And that we might shape our lives and build our lives upon it. For he told us if we do, we will have a life that's rock solid and sure. That will not crumble under pressure or stress. So help us, Father, for Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen. I would say this morning, anyone glancing at the title of this uh, communion meditation this morning, particularly after you note, if you need to, the date on the calendar today, you might well assume that I will be talking a bit about the United States of America, for after all, the good old USA is definitely, as our title says, a kingdom like no other. Isn't it? One of a kind? Today our country turns 245. That's quite a ways past the four score years and seven of Abraham Lincoln's day. It's a 245 year long social experiment. In many ways it does stand unique among the kingdoms of men. It's a land based upon principles and people and preferences. It's as stable and as rational and as good and as godly at any given time as is the majority of its people. Its history is as checkered as they are. In many ways, it is a unique land upon the earth. But as we shall see this morning, our great country, <clears throat> in the ways that really matter, is just like all the rest of the kingdoms of men. All of the nations found upon this earth. It is not the United States of America toward which the title of this message today would draw our attention. The kingdom, like no other, is the one identified in today's red-letter scripture. Here's the first part of that scripture. John chapter 18, verse 36, the first part of it. Jesus said, My kingdom, My kingdom is not of this world. In other words, we'd have to say it's otherworldly. It was to the Roman governor Pilate 
that Jesus spoke those words. You see, Pilate had just gotten Jesus in front of him and was interrogating him. And he says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? In other words, are you setting yourself up against me and Rome? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded, not by denying that he was a king, for he affirmed that he was, but he then said this statement, but my kingdom is not of this world. This morning I'd like us to compare just for a moment the nature of Christ's kingdom with all earthly ones. Here's a few things that came to my mind this week and, and perhaps as you think about it you could come up with some other distinctive uh, features that, that might allow you to contrast the one with the other. But here's a few things concerning the nature of Christ's otherworldly kingdom. It's a kingdom without sides. A kingdom without sides. In heaven, everyone is of one heart and one mind. No sides in the kingdom of heaven, in Christ's kingdom. It's a kingdom without strategies. Strategies are how do we get the thing done that we know needs to be done, and, and in heaven, everything's been done. The victory's already won. So there's no strategies to debate and, and to work with and to implement. No sides. Everybody's of the same mind and heart. There's no strategies necessary. The victory's been won. The war is over. Thirdly, it's a kingdom without any fleshly strivings. That's because man has been perfected. So in heaven, there's no fallen human nature to gum up the works. You don't have to say, oh, I don't want to say that. That came out of the wrong part of me. No, there's no fleshly stirrings in heaven. There's no flesh that is fallen human nature left. Man has been perfected and all of us in heaven resemble Jesus himself. And our heart is like his heart. Our mind is like his mind. Our delights are the same as his. No fleshly stirrings. Is it any wonder the old song that I grew up on uh, as a kid had a line that says, when we all get to heaven, what does it say? What a day of rejoicing that will be. How many of you ever sang that one? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. You better believe it. You better believe it. And as I was mentioning this morning, even though anyone who passes out of this life and goes into the heavenly realm, they're not yet in that fully, complete, glorified human body, soul, and spirit state, but they are in a glorious state. What a day of rejoicing for each one of them. That's Christ's heavenly kingdom. The kingdom like no other. And let me show in just a couple of examples taking the very same things how the kingdoms of earth are different from that the nature of all earthly kingdoms and this includes all of the kingdoms that christians build great christian organizations you say that guy is just building his own kingdom 
Great churches, in a sense, are associated with key leaders and key people. And it's almost like these are kingdoms. And you got one over here and one over here. And they have their own unique identities and, and their fans and their favorites and their, you know. So we'll include the kingdoms that Christians build as well as just the kingdoms of men. But notice this. Earthly kingdoms, including the ones that Christians build, always have sides. Because no one, no one has a corner on all truth. So no matter what we profess, we don't know everything, do we? I mean, I do, but we... Speaking as a, as a group here, we don't know everything. So no matter how fervent we are for Christ, no matter, no matter how much we try to live by the Bible, we know there's stuff that other people in other places probably have a more biblical understanding than we do to this point. Now, apart from Christian things, that's just true of earthly things, period. Earthly kingdoms always have sides. Does our earthly country have any sides in it? They always do. It's because no one side has all the truth. And even if they think they do, and even if they did, the other side wouldn't admit it. Right? So sides are part of the deal. Conflict, tension, stress, disagreement. Secondly, earthly kingdoms always require strategies. And that's because no one has all the power. Nobody can just make happen what they want their kingdom to become. They've got to figure out how do we get from point A to point B? How do we get this guy into office? How do we do this? How do we change that? How do we accomplish that? And there's strategy, there's thinking, there's, because nobody can just wave the magic wand and make it happen. So earthly kingdoms are always filled with strategies, with competing strategies. People are forever discarding one strategy in favor of another one. And that's just the nature of earthly kingdoms. Third thing, earthly kingdoms must always contend with fleshly strivings. You always got to deal with people. And people always come in a less than perfected state. And so earthly kingdoms have to deal with earthly people. And the flesh, the stirrings of the flesh, the stirrings of the flesh. And that's because even in Christian kingdoms, organizations and churches and places where Christians gather together to, to do stuff, even there, Full salvation of soul has not yet been achieved. And sooner or later, the, the fallenness of man will show itself. Sometimes that's where the sides develop. You get people who kind of have a fleshly thought, and they gather other people who have that same fleshly thought, and over here are people who say, that's fleshly, and now you've got two sides. That's the nature of all earthly kingdoms. Earthly kingdoms are characterized by continual struggles for power and influence and acceptance and dominance. In the heavenly kingdom, that's all taken care of already. 
no sides, no strategies, no fleshly stirrings to have to deal with. So here's the deal. There is nothing on the face of this earth like the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Nothing that can compare to its purity and perfection. It's unattainable on this fallen, sin-filled earth. The kingdoms of men always eventually crash and burn. The one we live in right now is showing the stress and strain of its earthiness. Now the believers on the earth, and particularly the believers who have lived in our land for these past 245 years, have always been and will continue to be faced with the question, what do we do about it? Fleshly stirrings seem to be winning the day. Ungodliness seems to be getting more pronounced than it used to be. This whole place is going to pot. Usually it's us old folks who say that. And the young folks says we're finally getting it worked down. And those are sides. But what do we do? What do Christians who are in an earthly kingdom do? How should we react when the values of Christ are neither promoted nor valued by the kingdom in which we live? Now, that question, just raising that question, because we already know how that question is answered by a lot of people. If you've lived very long in this country, you've seen a lot of solutions to what we do. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. There's all kinds of things Christians do to straighten this country out. All kinds of things that Christians do to put people in their place. All kinds of things that Christians do in the name of Christ to, to win and to stand up for Jesus' good name. We've seen a lot of things, but still the question is there, what should we do? And that question brings us to today's red letter scripture part two. Because Jesus said a second thing. John chapter 18, now the whole verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Else would my servants fight. Else would my servants fight. Now, let me tell you, those were very reassuring words in Pilate's ears. He did not have a revolutionary standing in front of him. He was not facing a man who was planning an overthrow of the Roman government. He was not dealing with the man who was raising an army to challenge the relatively small garrison of troops that were stationed in Jerusalem. Here's what he surely heard Jesus saying to him. Let me amplify it just a little bit. Since, Pilate, since my kingdom is not of this world, my servants will not engage in earthly battles to either establish or defend it. You can rest easy. That's what we should hear as well. That's what we should hear as well from those words. That was Jesus' first and final word on the subject. 
It should have ruled the day for all of his followers, but it didn't. It hasn't. Consider with me what I'd call today history's sad story. Christians, under the banner of the cross, have frequently engaged in earthly battles, using earthly techniques to win their point, haven't they? From the Crusades to free the Holy Land long centuries ago, to national boycotts of inappropriate movies, to massive efforts to take control of our government, to the establishment of great organizations to influence public policy, to the overthrow of governments that are viewed as abusive, Christ's servants have taken up various kinds of arms and fought aggressively to win victory in his name. The name of Christ and the Church of Christ have been identified over the centuries with some actual atrocities. Professing Christians have even fought against and denigrated one another in their various truth and turf battles. All in all, it's a sad story. And that sad story leads to today's sad reality. And here it is. Take a deep breath. Here we go. When Christians go to war. Now what I mean by this is go to war in the name of Christ. Seeking to advance Christ's cause in the world. Sometimes going to war in the name of one's country is unavoidable. And I'm not speaking about that. But when Christians go to war in the name of Christ to win a battle for Christ, they look just like everybody else. They look just like anybody else who's going to war. They look just like anybody else who is able to see the enemy as less than a human being, who's able to crush them, who's able to take advantage of them. They, see, they are seen like anybody else who's scheming and working out a way to win the battle and to some degree saying, and whatever it takes, whatever it takes. If Christians need to talk nasty about those unbelievers, if that'll get it done, talk nasty. After all, they're nasty people. See, when Christians go to war, since they also carry the flesh around with them, they look just like everybody else who's going to war. For whatever issue, for whatever cause. And in so doing... First off, they disobey their Savior. My kingdom is not of this world, else, if it were, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world, so my servants don't go around fighting for my cause and in my name. And so when we do that, we disobey the Savior. And, as a result, frequently we dishonor him. We dishonor him. There are places in the world where the name of Jesus could be spit upon 
because he's linked, his name is linked with some of the actions of this country. And that's just the way it is. How did his name get linked to the actions of an earthly kingdom? Too often it's his own people that are making that linkage. It's his own people that are leading the charge. It's his own people that are thinking this is the way to get the job done. And when they do so, they stop looking like something that came from another place. And they look just like everybody else who grew out of this place and is using power and influence and strategy and all those things to get from point A to point B. Now the question is, one question we raised today is why is that? Why do so many of Christ's followers through the years, why have they acted like his kingdom is of this world? When he absolutely said it wasn't. Why do we do that? Why do we act like the cause of Jesus Christ is linked to the success of some organization we've built in this world? Or some system in this world that, or some country in this world that he somehow is linked to. Why do we do that? Why is it not the most obvious thing in the world that Jesus said, don't do that. My kingdom isn't of this world. It's not linked to any of these worldly organizations. And if you link it in, you're going to lessen it. If you're going to link it in, you're going to do me a disservice. You're going to actually give the world, a good number of people in the world, an impression of who I am that is absolutely false. Don't do that. I don't want my servants fighting and winning earthly battles by earthly means for earthly purposes. My kingdom's not of this world. Else my servants would fight. Well, why do his servants wind up so feisty? Why does it make so much sense to say to ourselves, if we could just get this thing organized, we could steamroller those guys and take this place back? Why do we do that? Well, it's because... It's because that we, they, are caught up in the human condition and they are actually confusing some earthly kingdom for Christ's heavenly one. And they really think they are building his kingdom as they build their organization. They really feel like they are building his kingdom as they link some power base on this earth to his name. And they're confused. They're wrong. They're deceived. It's one of the greatest deceptions I think the devil has ever foisted upon the church of Jesus Christ. And it started thousand or more years ago when, when soldiers painted red crosses on their shields and went to kill the infidel. To take back the holy land for the holy one. They did that. Literally killed people. People today are a little more subtle, but we try to destroy the enemy. 
We try to take care of them. We try to do them in. We try to organize ourselves powerfully. We try to get people who have power to join our side. See, and Jesus says, none of that is really how it is. None of that is really how it ought to be. Our problem is because this country has for so long had that Christian designation that Jesus himself has been lowered down to the definition of the best of this country. And this country has a spotted history because it's full of sinful people. And when Jesus gets linked to something that's less than perfect, he's diminished. And that's why Jesus says, I, I, don't, I don't want my people advancing my kingdom that way. My servants aren't getting involved in, in earthly, physical, confrontational battles. It's the grace of God that wins the heart of men. It's the gospel that wins the heart of men. It's not organizations. It's not schemes. It's not power. It's not money. It's the Holy Spirit working with the truth of Christ that touches people's hearts one by one and sometimes thousands by thousands and they embrace the true Christ. They embrace the Son of God. They embrace the one who's not linked to anything of a lower earthly nature. And they can be thrilled by him whether they started out as a communist, whether they started out as a Republican, whether they started out as a Democrat, whether they started out as an atheist, the grace of God just bowls them over. And they don't feel like they've been defeated. They feel like they've been liberated. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's not of this world. And we who belong to it need to come to a, a newer and a fuller and a more glorious understanding of it. That's what we're sharing. We're not strategizing. We're not organizing. We're witnessing. We're sharing the truth of Christ and letting the Holy Spirit do what He's been sent to do. And to show the love of Christ to everyone. Just like Jesus did when He was actually here. That's his kingdom at work. And so we, we need discernment. And we need submission, submission to the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit himself who says, that, that's, that's what I want to walk you with. Someday I'm going to walk you right over the front door of heaven into the fullness of the kingdom. And what I want you to do is, is you get more and more familiar with the glory of the kingdom every day you're living in this fallen world. But don't try to turn this fallen world into the kingdom. Because you're going to wind up with something so much less. And it might actually harm the kingdom. So lift up Christ. And don't link Jesus Christ to any lower earthly standard. Let people see him for who he is. We need to see him for who he is. He's the son of God who came and died for us. For every single human being. He didn't come to make us citizens of any earthly country or kingdom. He came to make us 
citizens of heaven. That's going to be another discussion, although that's the words of Paul, not the words of Jesus. How does our citizenship work when we're members, citizens of his kingdom as well as citizens of this one? That'll be a good discussion sometime. But today, our final thought on this Independence Day, let's be sure that we have not declared our independence from the Savior. We are surrendered to the Savior. There's nothing independent about our relationship with Jesus Christ. He Don't declare your independence from Him, from the Word of God, from the Heavenly Father. Let's be sure that His words, Jesus' words, these red-letter words we're going through, let's be sure His words make up the Constitution by which we live our lives. Let's make sure we remember that his kingdom is a kingdom like no other. And let's not try to fit and squeeze our Christian life into some manufactured earthly organization or definition. We belong to him. He is our king. We can enjoy the blessings of the kingdom right now and someday we're going to enter into the heart of it. Let's be sure we know that. Heavenly Father, this was a, a signature statement, a significant statement Jesus made when, when the, the ruler of the earthly kingdom was right in front of him. And how many of the Jews, how many of the Jews expected Jesus to use his divine power and strike Pilate dead right on the spot? Say, I'll tell you who's king of this place. It's me. And all of his followers would have joined in and every one of them picked down a soldier of their own. And yet that's not how it went. That's not what Jesus said. In just a moment, a few moments, a day, a bit more than a day, Jesus was going to die on the cross for Pontius Pilate, paying for his sins. Were he to confess them, he would become part of Christ's kingdom himself. Father, forgive us for getting mired down in earthly thinking, mired down in earthly strategizing, mired down in taking personal responsibility for things that are not our responsibility. Father, we yield ourselves anew to the fact that the Spirit of God has been sent into this world to gain citizens for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to reveal the gospel to them, to reveal the love of God to them, to put a new life within them, and as they embrace that new life, they become, oh, so much more than just the inhabitants of an earthly country. They step into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Father, free us. Free us from all the, the misery that functioning one foot in one place, one foot in another place. All the misery that brings. 
And may we be able to say, I am engaged in no fight with people to win them to Christ. I am engaged in speaking the truth and the words of Christ and letting the Holy Spirit just overwhelm them with his grace. Grace I can't give, but he can. Father, may we feel the influx of that grace into our hearts this very moment. And as we partake in communion, may it just be overwhelming what the king of our kingdom has really provided for us. We ask this now in his name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.